0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the History in 20 podcast, hope you're all keeping alright. So today we're going further east than we've ever gone before. We're going right over to China and we're going back to the 15th century. We're covering a man called Zheng He. So a quick disclaimer, there's going to be a lot of incorrect pronunciations in here that I either don't know how to pronounce the word or pronounce it wrongly because it's a lot of Chinese stuff and I really don't know any Chinese at all so I can only apologise for that and if someone would like to correct me please do so in the comments below. So, who was Zheng He then? Well, I'll go through his personal profile in a minute, but just a quick introduction. He was a famous explorer during the Ming Dynasty in China. Uh, He was an admiral, so he sailed on what was called the Treasure Fleet. And we'll get into all this in a little bit, but I just wanted to give you that quick couple of sentences intro there. So, his personal profile... His birth name was actually Ma He, and we'll discuss that in a little bit, why he was called that. He was born in 1371 in Kunming in Yunnan in the Ming Empire, so in southwest China. And he died in either 1433 or 35. he was aged between 60 to 65 years old. Uh, his other names, he was known as Ma He, Ma Sanbao, or Cheng Ho. He lived during the era of the Ming Dynasty. I mean, the Ming Dynasty ruled China from 1368 to 1644, so he was part of the early Ming Dynasty. And, as I mentioned earlier briefly, his occupation was an admiral, an explorer, he was also a diplomat, and a palace eunuch as well. That was a key characteristic for him. So, we'll go through his early life, um, which I'm rounded off, about 1371 to 81, so the first 10 years of his life. And, as usual, with these great historical characters, very little is known about his early life. What we do know is that he was born into a Muslim family and he had an older brother and four sisters. And he was also a great 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 grandson of a man called Sayyid Ajal Shams al-Din Omar who was the first governor of Yunnan during the early Mongol-led Wan Dynasty. And then Omar surrendered to Genghis Khan during his tenure as governor from 1274 to 79. So you might remember my other episode on Genghis Khan which I'll link above. In 1381, so when Zheng was about 10, um, a Ming army invaded and conquered Yunnan, which at the time was ruled by a guy called Basal Wami. And the invasion of Yunnan was the final phase in the Ming dynasty's expulsion of the Mongol-led Wan Dynasty rule from China. So during the invasion and ensuing battles Zheng He's father died, although it's unclear if he was fighting for or against the Mongols. And then Zheng was captured by General Fu Yaode of the Ming army when he was asked if he knew the location of the Mongol pretender. And Zheng told him that he jumped into a lake, and as a result, he was then captured and taken as a Ming prisoner. So... Zheng's rise in the Ming court is the next bit I'm going on to, which is about 1381 to 1405. So sometime between 1381 and 85, when Zheng was about 10 to 14 years old, he was castrated and thus became a eunuch. And he was sent to serve in the household of a guy called Zhu Di, who later became the Yongle Emperor, the third emperor of the Ming dynasty, and he reigned from 1402 to 24. Now he gained the trust of the prince, and he accompanied him on his military campaigns, and as a result of this, Zheng learned much about military tactics and warfare from an early age, serving as a soldier on the northern frontier, and possibly the biggest battle in his early life was during these Mongol campaigns, when he accompanied the prince at the Battle of Jinshan on the 2nd of March 1390, which was a huge victory for the Ming dynasty because the Mongol commander, Nag surrendered so Zheng He also received a proper education at Beiping which he would not have had had he been placed in the imperial capital which at the time wasn't Beijing but it was Nanjing which is roughly about 150 miles north of Shanghai. Now this was because the emperor in charge, he was the Hongwu emperor, he was the first emperor of the Ming dynasty he ruled from 1368 to 98 and that was because he didn't trust eunuchs and he thought that it was best that they remain illiterate So a quick side note, a lot of um, emperors in this era trusted eunuchs in the palace because they knew they couldn't um, like, sexually assault or have relations with the women of the court because obviously they were castrated, so that was impossible. So that's why eunuchs were quite popular in Asia in this time, but even so the Hongwu Emperor didn't, tra- didn't trust them. And he died on the 24th of June, 1398, and all of his elder sons had predeceased him, and which left Zhu Di as his only surviving son, and thus a rightful claimant to the imperial throne, or the dragon throne as it was called then, which makes it sound really dramatic and pretty cool, I think. However, Zhu Di's nephew and the Hongwu's grandson succeeded the imperial throne as the Jianwen Emperor. He reigned for four years between 1398 to 1402, and he immediately issued a policy called Zhuifan, which literally translates as reducing the feudatories, so that eliminated all other princes by stripping of their titles and armies. So Zhu Di openly rebelled against his nephew, and in 1399, Zheng He successfully defended Beiping's city reservoir against the Imperial Armies. And it was the name of this reservoir, the Zheng Lungba, which is where he gained the name Zheng from. So as a quick side note here, prior to this, he'd been called Ma He, but just for simplicity purposes and to avoid any confusion, because it is quite difficult to get your head around this, I've just referred to him as Zheng He throughout, but in case you wanted to know, this is when he really, his name was trans... uh, was translated as and became uh, Zheng He. So Zhu Di's forces defeated the Imperial Army in early 1402 and they marched into Nanjing on the 13th of July. So on the 17th of July Zhu Di accepted the invitation to become Emperor and he was crowned as the Yongle Emperor. And he promoted Zheng He to Grand Director of the Directorate of Palace Servants, yep one of those, on 11th of February 1404 in the Chinese New Year. And it was then that Zheng He's name was made official, as I mentioned above. So the next section is probably the most important section of Zheng's life, and these are his voyages with the Treasure Fleet, on which he undertook seven voyages between 1405 to 1433. So in 1403, the Yongle Emperor ordered the construction of the Treasure Fleet, and this was part of the early Ming Dynasty's militaristic expansionism, where they set about making their presence known in the world and establishing trade with other civilizations. So Zheng He was named as Admiral of the Treasure Fleet and placed in control of these huge ships. So I'll put a picture on the screen now, and that's to gather an idea of the size of these ships that Zheng He sailed on. The ship next to his is one of Vasco da Gama's Vasco da Gama's ships who was the Portuguese explorer who first went round the Cape of Good Hope in Africa uh, about 70 80 years after Zheng He was sailing. So I mean Zheng He's ships there I'd guess are about 10 times at least the size of that um so that's an idea of the ships that they were sailing on. So, his first voyage involved basically a lot of exploration of the Western Ocean, which I'll mention in just a second. So, the preparations for this first voyage were huge, including the use of so many different linguists that a foreign language institute was actually established at Nanjing. So, that's obviously for any civilizations that are going to, they need translators and interpreters. So, in early April 1405, an order was given to Zheng He to lead 27,000 troops to the Western Ocean. And that was called the Western Ocean, because you might see from the map on your screen now. That was the geography of China and the Ming Dynasty in the early 15th century. So they called it the Western Ocean because it was west of where they were. They viewed it as the, so the centre of the earth, so, or all under heaven as they called it in the Ming Dynasty. So the Western Ocean is actually the modern day Indian Ocean because it was west of China, so that's why it's referred to as that. So anyway, the night before the voyage, on the 10th of July, 1405, the Yongle Emperor held a banquet to the crew, and he presented them with gifts according to their rank. And on the voyage, Zheng He was uh, equipped with imperial letters to give to the kings of the various countries of the Western Ocean, as well as gifts including gold brocade and decorated silks. So the first expedition departs from Suzhou, which is roughly 60 miles west of Shanghai, and consisted of a fleet of 317 ships and almost 28,000 crew members. And the fleet was organised into squadrons when they briefly stopped at Luizhang. From there, they sailed down the coast to Changge, where they waited out the winter monsoons. So you'll be able to see on this map here, you'll be able to see the years of which the um fl- the, uh discoveries and explorations went the routes that they went on on these voyages so the treasure fleet followed a southern route initially it stopped at champa which is in modern day vietnam before sailing further south to territories which are now part of modern day malaysia and indonesia uh, that includes java malacca aru semadera and lambri And Zheng He's ships then turned westward and onto Ceylon, which is modern-day Sri Lanka, and then Colum and Calicut in India. And one of the ships split off at this point and went on to the Andaman and Nicobar Islands. So the fleet turned back at Cape Comorin, which is the most southerly tip of the Indian subcontinent, and they began their return journey back to China. However... The treasure fleet was drawn into battle uh, at the Battle of Palembang, which is the capital of South Sumatra in Indonesia, against a Chinese pirate called Chen Zuyi and his pirate fleet. So Chen was a pirate leader who'd taken Palembang and thus dominated the sea routes of the Malacca Strait. So Zheng He's forces defeated Chen Zui's and took him as his prisoner. So when they arrived back in Nanjing on the 2nd of October 1407, he and his lieutenants were executed, and following this, the Ming court appointed a guy called Shi Qing as the pacification ambassador, establishing an ally at Palembang and securing safe trade and travel routes of the Malaccan Strait. So the foreign envoys who'd accompanied the treasure fleet back to Nanjing visited the Ming courts with gifts from their countries and to pay homage to the Yongle Emperor. So second voyage, they head a bit further into Southeast Asia, so the Yongle Emperor wasted no time in issuing the Imperial Edict, and it was issued in October 1407, Uh, and on the 30th of October, a Grand Direct was dispatched with a squadron to Champa before Zheng He followed with the main fleet, and this is noted as during the fifth year of the Yongle reign, so it could be either late 1407 or early 1408. The Taizong Shilu, or Ming Shilu, which is the biggest primary source of the Ming dynasty, uh, and it recorded the imperial annals of the Ming emperors, stated that on this voyage, Zheng He visited Calicut, Malacca, Semadera and Aru again, while also visiting Siam, which is modern-day Thailand, for the first time, and Koshi in India and the fleet was ordered to carry out the formal investiture of Manavikran as the King of Calicut, which they succeeded in doing, and actually a tablet was placed in Calicut to commemorate the relationship between China and India. So during the voyage the treasure fleet visited the Similan Islands in the Strait of Malacca in 1409 and this was recorded by a guy called Fei Jin, who was a military commander on board and he recorded all the activities of the countries they visited and I thought this was the most interesting excerpt so I thought I'd share this one with you and he stated that in the seventh year of Yongle Zheng He and his associates sent government troops onto the island to cut incense they obtained six logs whose aroma was pure and far-ranging The pattern of the wood was black with fine lines. The people of the island opened their eyes wide and stuck out their tongues in astonishment and were told that we are the soldiers of the heavenly court and our awe-inspiring power is like that of the gods. And then the fleet returned to Nanjing in January 1409. So the third voyage sees a bit of trouble erupting in Ceylon. So they embarked on the third voyage in October 1409, so after traveling to Malacca and trading in Siam, Java and Calicut, they arrived back at Ceylon during the home journey in 1411. So the treasure fleet confronted a guy who was uh, the king of Ceylon, called King Alekshvara, now, Alec Shivara posed a threat to the countries and local waters of Ceylon and southern India. So, Zheng and 2,000 of his troops marched overland to Kote, which was the capital of Sri Lanka, because Alec Shivara had lured them into his territory. So, immediately, Alec Shivara cut off their escape route back to the treasure fleet, which was anchored at um, Colombo, while he planned a surprise attack on the fleet. But in response, Zheng and his men invaded Kot, in which the Sinhalese, or Sri Lankan army, tried to retake. Now, their army numbered about 50,000, and uh, Zheng only had 2,000 troops, uh, but they defeated them soundly each time, so the Ming troops took Alekshvara, his family, and his officials as prisoner, and they returned to Nanjing on the 6th of July, 1411. So after he presented the captives to the Yongle Emperor, the Emperor actually decided to let them live and return them to Ceylon. But the Chinese dethroned Alexhvara in favor of Parakambahu IV as the King of Ceylon, with Jiang and his troops supporting him, and from that moment onwards, the treasure fleet never experienced any hostilities in Ceylon again. So as well as all this trading and bringing goods back and making partnerships with all these uh, other countries and civilizations, they're actually stopping a lot of civil conflict and wars during the treasure fleet, which is an interesting point to note. So the fourth voyage is when they're Go further west than they've ever been before. So the tre- treasure fleet set sail in autumn 1413 and it visited its usual destinations in Siam, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Vietnam. But this time they went further west and they reached Hormuz or Ormus in the Arabian Peninsula, which is located on the Persian Gulf, stretching as far west as Bahrain at its zenith. So if you see the map on the screen now, the difference in geography between Bahrain and Nanjing is huge. So you can imagine in the 15th century, getting there is incredible. But that's not as far as they'd get. So the fleet was also recorded as reaching the Maldives in the Indian or Western Ocean. Uh, And at Java, the treasure fleet delivered gifts from the Yongle Emperor. And in return, the Chinese received Western horses from the Javanese in 1415, when a Javan envoy reached Nanjing. So the fleet returned back to Nanjing on the 12th of August 1415, however the Yongle Emperor had been absent since the 16th of March fighting on his second Mongol campaign. So he returned to Nanjing on the 14th of November 1416 and on the 19th of December the 18 ambassadors were received at the Ming court. On the 28th of December, the ambassadors received robes and were given their leave to return home, which was the task that Zheng He was given, and the imperial edict edict was issued the same day for the fifth voyage of the treasure fleet. And this is where they go around to Africa and Arabia. So they left sometime around autumn 1417, they returned the 18 ambassadors, and they sailed on to Aden, which is the capital of Yemen, Mogadishu, which is the capital of Somalia, Brava in southwest Somalia and Malindi in Kenya, which is incredible how far they got. So the fleet reached the Aden coast in January 1419 and didn't leave until March of the same year as the Rasulids, who controlled Taiz in Yemen, submitted to the Ming and sent them tribute missions in return for protection against the Mamluk Sultanate of Egypt. So the treasure fleet returned to China on the 8th of August 1419 and although the younger Emperor was in Beijing at the time, he received the ambassadors at the Ming court in September. So perhaps the most interesting part of the fifth voyage was the goods which were brought back, which were received with huge sensation at the Ming court. So because the voyage had traveled down Africa's eastern coast as well as Arabia, there was a lot, a lot of African and some Arabian wildlife had been brought back to the Yongle Emperor as gifts. So included as part of these gifts were camels, leopards, lions, rhinoceros, antelopes, and even a giraffe, which is, I mean, just logistically, I can't get my head around how you'd transport a giraffe um, in the 15th century on a ship, but they did it, so... Incredible achievement, but anyway, the sixth voyage was when they began to suspend the treasure fleet, so an imperial edict was issued on the 3rd of March 1421 to return the envoys back to their homes, and they were to return with gifts of paper money, which was a relatively new concept to the western world anyway, coin money, ceremonial robes and linings. However, on the 14th of May, the Yongle Emperor ordered the temporary suspension of the voyages, and at the expense of the treasure fleet, funds were diverted instead to the Mongol campaigns in the north. So, as a result, the fleet remained at Nanjing between 1422 and 30, really, as a as a general rule, to serve in the city's garrisons. Nevertheless, Yang had been given leave to return the envoys, and did so in November 1421, returning in September 1422. So in 1424, Zheng He departed on a diplomatic mission to Palembang. On the 12th of August 1424, the Yongle Emperor died, leaving his son Zhu Geozi to succeed him as the Hongzhi Emperor, On the 7th September 1424, upon hearing the news of the death of the Yongle Emperor, Zheng He returned to Nanjing. Unfortunately, the Hongxi Emperor was hostile to the idea of further voyages of the treasure fleet, and on the same day that he succeeded his father as Emperor, he permanently suspended further voyages of the treasure fleet. So Zheng was instead made defender of Nanjing. But on the 29th of May 1425, the Hongxi Emperor died, leaving his son Zhu Zhangji to succeed him as the Zhuande Emperor. So the seventh and final voyage was on the the 25th of March 1428, but it wasn't actually then, but on the 25th of March 1428, the Zhuande Emperor ordered Zheng to oversee the restoration of the great Bao'en Temple at Nanjing, which is called the Porcelain Tower of Nanjing now, which was completed by 1431. So on the 29th of June 1430, the Zhuang De Emperor ordered the 7th voyage with the aim of bringing more western ocean lands into submission. So on the 19th of January 1431, Zheng He embarked from Long Wan, which literally translates as Dragon Bay in Nanjing. So they sailed south and they stopped off in Vietnam, Java, Palembang, Malacca and Ceylon, and from there they headed even further west and they reached Mecca in modern-day Saudi Arabia. So they anchored at the great Nicobar Island where they're reported to have traded coconuts with the locals which coming from southwest China, I guess they wouldn't have had them there because they tend to grow near a beach or on palm trees and stuff. So you'll be able to see on the map uh, the uh, voyage for the full explanation of where they visited before they returned to Nanjing in 1433, so I won't bore you with every single place they visited. So the next section is the final section really and that's discussing Zheng He's death and legacy. So there's some debate around Zheng He's death so some sources say that he died either on or shortly after the seventh voyage while others say that he returned to Nanjing and served as defender of Nanjing for another two years and he died in 1435. Either way the cause of his death is actually unknown but when he died he would have been around 61-65 years of age. So Zheng He's legacy is hugely significant, not just in Chinese history, but in global history as well. So following his death, the Ming dynasty simply, and rather sadly, left the treasure fleet to rot in the harbour. So in what's now viewed as an incredibly arrogant and selfish attitude, the Ming rulers genuinely thought that they knew everything, and other people could only learn from them, so they saw no need to explore any further, because they already knew everything in the world. All that was under heaven. So, as a result, over the coming centuries, they adopted a philosophy of secrecy and keeping themselves to themselves, and they only really begun to open up in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, which led to the Opium Wars under the Qing Dynasty, or Qing Dynasty rather. So, in China, Zheng He's achievements were downplayed in the following centuries, with some teachings even going so far as to deny the annals of the early Ming Dynasty and claiming that the voyages never even happened. But as a result, the Seventh Voyage was the final voyage the Treasure Fleet ever undertook. However, deny it as they may, there is substantial evidence of the Chinese influence in many of the areas Zheng He visited, such as on your screen now you can see the Sacra Dona Bell, which was gifted by Zheng He to Pasai in Sumatra and Indonesia. So, in addition to that, the fact that ships reached as far away from China as Kenya and Mecca is an incredible achievement, particularly for the time. So as the historian Gordon Kerr argues, the influence of the following emperors after the Yongle Emperor are also to blame for China's secrecy policy. So Kerr says, the succeeding emperors Hongxi and Zhuande thought expansionism was a dangerous policy and too costly. Hongxi prohibited further exploration and in the years to come knowledge of Zheng He's voyages was suppressed. Timing was bad, as other European nations were just gearing up for the great age of exploration. And that is a hugely significant point, I think. Had Zheng He's ships sailed east and passed the Korean Peninsula and Japan, who knows what could have been? Might they have landed at Hawaii, or perhaps even gotten to the American mainland before Columbus? Because it was less than 60 years later that Christopher Columbus reached the Americas when trying to find an eastward passage to India. So as seen in the image above, Zheng He's ships were far more powerful and arguably much more adaptable to the conditions of the Pacific Ocean than the Santa Maria would have been. So regardless of what ifs though, it's clear to see that uh, obviously Zheng He was one of the most influential characters in the history of China. It's just such a shame that his ships ended up rotting after all of the work they'd gone through. But had this not been the case, who knows what the world could have held for China. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, Bit different, bit further east than before. Nice to have some Asian history in there. So um, yeah, if you enjoyed that one, don't forget to like the video, comment with any feedback, and obviously subscribe, hit that bell icon so you get notified every time there's a new video. Subscribe to my website, email list on the blog as well, I'll link that below. And yeah, I'll see you at the next one. Thanks for watching.